To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hi everyone. So we are in the thick of winter here in Southern California. Most of you probably think I'm the biggest wimp about the cold and I fully admit that I am. It's been in the 40s to low 50s during the day with wind and rain and in the 30s overnight. So we're actually even getting snow just 15 minutes away from here. So. I'm already ready for spring. So I'm excited about this episode today because I've got a couple of really great topics. Um, this first one I thought was something really important to cover. I've covered it before to some degree, but I really want to get into it, break it down, and that is apologies. Not just tips and tools for helping our kids understand and learn how to give a proper apology, but also adult-to-adult apologies and parent-to-child apologies. Now, understanding when and how to apologize is such an important relational skill. The person who taught me how to apologize is my parenting partner. Something happened over the past month that I've been dealing with on a personal level around my relationship with my mom. And I've shared a bit about our issues before. I will be creating a separate special episode for the podcast to share more about my childhood, why and how I finally came to the conclusion that at 50 years old, it was time to cut ties with her. For anyone else who's dealt with either in childhood or adulthood, relationships that were toxic on some level, but you weren't sure how much you were willing to accept and tolerate for the many reasons that we stick things out with people, 
that we love. I hope that episode, when I release it, will help you heal your old wounds or gain strength to finally say enough is enough. So that'll be an episode that's not for everyone, but it will be for those who have dealt with that or who are wondering if what they're dealing with is too much or not, or whether to stick it out. And of course, it's my own personal experience and just why I came to my own conclusion. But if it's really affecting you negatively and you want to be done, might be a good episode for you to listen to. Now, I grew up in a home where my mom had no idea how to give an apology. I've done some more studying in addition to my master's degree, but it's rooted in some deep psychological stuff, and I'll share that in the special episode. But for now, just know that my experience growing up was that when due an apology, it was about reassigning blame. Whether it was with me or with my dad, I would remember my mom coming up with whatever the other person needed to work on, what they really needed to do better, and she would completely skirt or deflect any wrongdoing on her part. I knew how to say I'm sorry because that was what was expected of me when I did something that she didn't like. My parenting partner, on the other hand, knew exactly what to do. The first time I mentioned something he did that annoyed me or hurt my feelings or something, I don't remember what it was, that I needed him to change, he simply said, I'm sorry, I will do better. I about fell to the floor. I'm sorry, I'll do better. Never in my life had someone taken full responsibility immediately and just promised to do better. Not only that, he usually did do better. He remembered and followed through. I was so used to someone pushing it back on me, what I needed to do better, what I needed to change, why they reacted the way that they did because I wasn't doing enough. That blew me away. So as parents to our children and partners in parenting and life or whatever your situation is, it's important to know how to give a true heartfelt apology and then how to teach your kids to do the same. So a sincere apology has three parts. There's an acknowledgement. This is being able to see how our actions impact others. There's the remorse and the empathy piece. Remorse is truly feeling bad for what we've done and sharing that with the other person. And then the restitution. So in the case of the apology from my ex, my parenting partner, the I'm sorry is both the acknowledgement and showing remorse. And the I'll do better is the restitution, what he's going to do next time. So acknowledgement can come in any number of ways. It's about the heartfelt piece of showing you now understand. So, and my parenting partner hates this example, but it's a really good one. And he really didn't mean anything derogatory by it at all. He was trying to be cute and funny, but unfortunately it backfired. Now I'm a tiny lady and I've never been very big, but when I was about seven months pregnant, I was in the bathroom getting ready, I think, for bed that night. I don't remember, but he said, you look funny when you're fat. And he really, again, he was trying to be cute and funny. I, he felt that I was a really cute pregnant lady, but I broke down in tears and I said, I'm pregnant, I'm not fat. The poor guy, he felt horrible. You look adorable, I was just trying to be funny. I said, it's not funny. He said, I know that now. So this was his acknowledging that he understood very clearly the joke was not taken well, that it was a poor choice. He said he's sorry so many times, not just then, but fo- the following years for many, uh, for many times he said it. Then the next day he came home from work with a gift card wrapped in a cute little bag from the local maternity store and another one for a massage. Now that's restitution. He felt he messed up big and he made a really nice effort to make up for it. That's an apology. 
Now, obviously, each piece only needs to match the level of infraction, which is a bit of a judgment call on each person's part, but you get the idea. With adults, this exchange should and normally does go quicker and easier than it will with children. We hurt someone, we apologize. So let's just say the outburst came from hurt feelings. So this is really common in relationships. Anger is hurt turned outwards. So when someone's angry with you and they react, first understand this is the first step. It's their hurt turned outward. Children or adults, if we're hurt, that hurt sometimes turns outward and it retaliates. Now, hopefully, by the time we reach adulthood, we have enough emotional control and maturity to catch ourselves, but we don't always. So let's give an example. Let's say you come home late from work or an outing and your spouse jumps on you about it a little bit too much, a little bit out of line, right? Calls you selfish right off the bat without even asking what happened. You told me you'd be home at five and here it is 6.30. I tried to call you. You didn't even answer. You're so selfish. Do you even think about anyone but yourself sometimes? So I'm going to break this down. Where is the outburst from? Likely it's from worry. Worry that something happened to you. And the more time that passes from the original time one said one would be home, our imaginations can work into a frenzy about what happened. Now, I'm not going to dive deeper into other causes like trust issues between the couple because that's a relational issue that likely requires some therapy to work through so that those reactions aren't so big. But I'm going to keep it simple for this case. Someone is pretty late, they haven't reached out, and the spouse gets angry when they walk in the door because they're worried. So now they each owe each other an apology, one for being late and not putting the other's mind at ease, and the second for jumping right to name-calling without inquiring first. The one who is late, understanding where the outburst came from, steps up and gives a calm explanation. I'm sorry. I got a flat tire. I waited for the tow truck for almost an hour. I was in an area with no service. I should have texted once I got to a place with service, but then I was only 10 minutes from home and I didn't want to pull over to text and be even later. I wish you would have just asked me what happened rather than accusing me of being selfish. So at this point, the one who jumped on their spouse hopefully realizes their errors also and apologizes. I was so worried that something happened to you that I just reacted when I saw that you were okay. I'm sorry I was so harsh. That wasn't okay to talk to you that way. I'm going to work on inquiring the next time. Hugs, hugs, kiss, kiss, right? A nice exchange, a nice reconnection, and restitution. I'm going to work on inquiring. And then the physical connection of hugging, whatever that leads to for families, awesome, right? Okay, well, not <laughs> whatever that leads to for the couple, reconnecting, important stuff. Okay, so... This is what we're working with our kids on, to learn to have these kinds of exchanges and skills as they move towards adolescence and into adulthood. Hopefully we also work with them on those pieces that we're also working on if we have some struggles with this. If we're prone to reacting, we're working on that, but we're also teaching our kids also about, rather than reacting, to inquire first before the reaction. Staying calm, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Okay. But the difference between adults and children, besides the teaching aspect, right, of teaching our children, is that as the adult, we must always take the lead. Our children's behavior may have been rude, unacceptable by the standards we're teaching, but we must, must work with them towards understanding and feeling heard before we work to coach them about apologies. Even if it feels like it's the hundredth time you've talked about this, they need the practice. If they had that skill down, they would do better with it. Now, if you're reaching towards adolescence and they know, they've practiced for years, 
You don't have to bend over backwards to make sure they feel heard. And you can have higher expectations and be understandably annoyed by rude behavior. So since I'm talking about adolescence right now, I'm going to give a quick example, and then I'm going to move back to working with toddlers, preschoolers, younger children to get them up to that level as they age. So with a tween or a teen, you've been working on this since they were younger, they know the expectation, and we're not making excuses here for tweens and teens, but I also want to remind parents that to understand that quickly shifting hormones will mean impulsive reactions and emotions at times. So just know that, understand that, make a little bit of an allowance for that. So this is something you might say to your teen. I'm not sure what happened today to leave you feeling so overwhelmed, but it's not okay to talk to me like that. Can you please try again so we can have a better conversation about this? Now with my 11 year old, he's almost 12 next month, I sometimes have to repeat things when he's upset. I understand you're feeling frustrated about X right now, but it's not okay to talk to me that way. He may continue explaining why he's upset. It's usually over something on playing a game. Okay, but am I the one that sets up the rules of the game or am I the one playing with you right now? No. Okay, so why are you taking your frustration out on me? This is another lesson. Being upset with the right person at the right time and the right place. And this is something we're going to teach our kids too. This is older kids. How we sometimes have to learn to hold that frustration to a later time when we can address it in private with the person who actually upset us. Not take it out on other people. Not take it out in a moment that isn't the correct moment. If they're frustrated with a teacher in the future with a boss, they can't take it on their teacher in front of the other kids or with their boss in a meeting. They have to hold it, set up a meeting, and work on it privately later. So... After we have that little conversation about why are you taking your frustration out on me, this is when I usually get an I'm sorry, mama. And then I'll have a lesson with him about getting too frustrated over games, what we can do with that frustration more appropriately, or how he may need to avoid playing the game or the situation that gets him too ruffled if he can't handle his emotions better. Okay, so I'm going to get to working with toddlers on apologies, as well as the question for today about getting kids to listen and follow directions right after a word from our sponsors. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month. 
and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com slash parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to talk about teaching younger kids about apologies. Then I'm going to get to the question about getting kids to listen. Okay, so for young kids and apologies, the first piece that's important to understand is that And this is true for children of any age, but it really applies to these youngest ages because they're still working on understanding empathy and what apologies are about. And that is, we never want to force an apology. We never want to say, you owe me an apology or you apologize right now, or you go over to your friend and tell her you're sorry right now. What this does is potentially work against the development of empathy. And apology isn't something we give because we're forced to, or because we're afraid of the repercussions if we don't simply comply or simply because we're told to do so. It's something we give because we feel remorse. So an apology needs to be organic. So as we teach our children about empathy and apologies, we want to offer it. In the early stages, we offer or remind them. It looks like you hurt your friend when you swung your toy around and hit him. It would be nice if you told him you were sorry. Now, a lot of times kids think that if they didn't do it on purpose, they have no culpability. Whatever the answer, if they don't step up to apologize, then we can work on explaining why it's important. We can put them in the place of their friend. If your friend hit you with a toy and it hurt, even if he didn't do it on purpose, wouldn't you want him to say he's sorry or maybe give you a hug, make sure that you're feeling okay? And then you want to work towards the apology in in any way he's willing to show it and show that he doesn't want his friend to feel bad. Now, most children will give some small gesture of a hug, a pat on the shoulder, are you okay? Something like that. But if they don't, you can lead by example. I'm sorry Jack's hit you with the toy. Are you feeling okay? And then you can work with the child if they're not feeling okay and show how that you help the friend feel better. Then just continue to work with your child each opportunity and they will get it. It's a process of building empathy and understanding of the other. Also remember empathy just starts to develop around the age of three and it takes many years before it's fully developed. So just know this is a process and you're helping them through and as they develop more empathy, they will get better and better at apologies, especially as you teach them more about what an apology is for and the three pieces to that apology. Okay, so now we're going to get to the question from Diane, and she wrote, Thank you for your help and explanation surrounding parenting and how to really try to raise my son with loving discipline. 
Connor is about three and a half and clearly the best thing that has ever happened to me. However, we're going through some real struggles as of late with him. I have used so many of your strategies throughout the toddler years and I guess the real struggle at this point is that nothing is really working. It could be that my husband and I are trying everything, hoping something sticks, or that we're too overwhelmed to figure out what will work best at that time. So I'm gonna to try to walk you through some typical scenarios. And I love this, Diane, you're probably right on. There's probably throwing a bunch of stuff out there and maybe um, trying to just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So I'm gonna go through some details uh, after I go through the rest of your question. Usually Connor wakes up, I get him up at about 6.45 to 7 to get ready for daycare. He takes so long to get out of bed, wanting to play, kiss all the stuffed animals, have me rub his back, etc. Then it's off to the bathroom and to wash his hands. All of this takes forever because he stops, chats, wastes time, etc. I don't want to nag, but since he takes so long, we start to run out of time, and both my husband and I have to get to work. I've tried to motivate him with positive reinforcement, tried telling him I won't be able to stay and watch him get ready if he takes too long because I have to also get ready, asking him to be a good listener, one, two, three magic, choices, but none of this motivates him. He gets silly, he wastes more time, he'll start to break down, sit on the floor, stopping the process altogether. This is pretty much the rest of the morning, repeating itself with getting dressed, brushing teeth. Fast forward to once he gets home from school at about five o'clock. More of the same, more time wasting in silliness nonstop, even when it's time for dinner, bath time, or bedtime routines. Lately, it's been ending up in a tantrum where he gets so upset that he doesn't get his way that he throws things, hits, kicks, and can't be calmed down. I've been racking my brain for changes in routine, but there really is nothing I can think of. He goes to bed and falls asleep by about eight, is up by seven, and usually has about an hour to an hour and a half nap at school, so I don't think it's lack of sleep. I've been hoping to just overcome this hurdle, but his daycare teacher spoke to me yesterday, asking if I've noticed any changes at home because he's been defiant as of late, not sitting when he needs to, not wanting to nap, and generally just pushing boundaries. She still insists he's very sweet and loves learning, but she was tracking his behavior these past few weeks and wanted to let me know. So that's really what pushed me to email. Connor is such a sweet and kind boy, and I love his funny, silly side, but I can't figure out what's up here and what to do about the power struggles. Sorry to go on and on. Thanks for all you do, Diane. Okay, so this is a great email, lots of stuff going on, lots of details. I'm gonna touch on what I possibly can because there's a lot of things that are kind of one leading to another and kind of stacking upon each other. So I'm gonna give tips to hopefully help you deal with some of this basic stuff. And then once that's taken care of, the kind of spiral downward into the tantrums will hopefully take care of themselves. Um, I will say these are types of things I do work with parents on in coaching because we break it down step by step, incident by incident, and how we can walk through it. But I think I can give you enough today definitely to get you started in the right direction. So the first thing when we're dealing with our toddlers and children, older children even, like middle, or not middle school, elementary age children, yeah, even older kids can do this too. But the first thing we wanna do is figure out the reason. What's going on with the misbehavior? In the class, it's called Misbehaviors and Solutions. I cover many reasons why kids misbehave. Now there's four main reasons children misbehave once we've taken care of the prevention pieces of it. One of those reasons is undue attention. Children are looking for attention, and this is what strikes me what's happening here with Connor. All that fooling around, the silliness, that's looking for some attention. So we're going to start with the positive tools. So whenever we have a, an issue um, with a child, we want to really, really move towards the positive tools. That doesn't mean you're not going to use some of these other ones. You are. But you're really going to want to remember to be really intentional about this, the positive tools 
and really build that strong foundation so they're getting attention for positive things. This turns it around, it shouldn't take too long. A couple of weeks, lots of positive attention, lots of positive feedback for doing positive things when he does them will then get him to do more and more positive things. Because it's really common for us parents to give a lot of attention when they're acting negatively. Stop jumping on the couch. You need to brush your teeth right now. Why are you taking so long? Like we kind of drill that in. They're getting a lot of attention for doing things that aren't really helpful. And then they're not getting a ton of attention when they're doing things that are helpful, when they're being helpful, when they're doing what they're told. We just let them do it and we're like, oh, and we're like relaxed and yay, they're doing what we asked them to do. We need to switch it around. Give lots of attention when they are following through, being helpful, being positive. So you wanna give positive feedback every time he's doing something helpful. If he does something the first time you ask, give positive feedback. If he puts his toys away right away, thank you for putting your toys away the first time I asked. That is so helpful. You wanna work on lots of positive feedback. Thank you for getting your pants on all by yourself today. That is so independent, that type of thing. Lots of positive feedback. Put lots of focus on that. Number two, special time. You want to give your children special time if they are, especially you want to focus on this if you're noticing that undue attention. Now there are some kids who are, will just push the attention piece, right? You're doing all these things, lots of positive feedback. You know, you are spending that special time with them. Um, if you're doing that and they're still kind of pushing, especially the really little ones, and especially if there's a sibling in the house, they're gonna push for that attention. If they're getting plenty of attention, you're not killing yourself over it. You're not breaking your back over trying to spend as much every squeezing every second of every day that you can giving them attention. You don't have to do that. If you're giving them some special time, so special time is, you know, they get that at the end of the day when you're reading books and you're snuggling in bed, but also um, a little bit of playtime with them during the day. If you can do this a couple of times for 20 minutes, even if you can only do it once a day, that's fine. Um, when you're working there in preschool, it's a little harder to be able to do that every day. So you're trying to work it in the schedule, definitely on the weekends, maybe one or two days a week in the evenings when you can give them some special time, sit on the floor, play with them a little bit, either in the morning, and we'll work on the mornings, I'll talk about that, or it, sometime in the evening, one parent's um, making dinner while the other parent's sitting and, and uh, playing blocks with him on the floor or something like that. Focus on those two things. Okay, choices. You wanna make sure you're using them properly. So there's several pitfalls to choices. I covered a little bit of this in last week's episode because there were some things similar to this about um, what the pitfalls are to choices. I think I mentioned maybe one or two to those. I also have the video on the YouTube channel about all the pitfalls with choices and how to avoid them. So that is on the Your Village YouTube channel. You can just search Your Village and the channel will come up. I think it's the very top and you can watch. I just put it out last week or a couple weeks ago. So you can watch that, all the pitfalls for choices and how to avoid those. Because if you're falling into the pitfalls, it does render them ineffective. You have to use these uh, effectively. So you're doing lots of positive feedback. You're giving them some special time. I also didn't mention, you know, if you can get them out to the park, you can get a little bit of, you know, time outside. I don't know where you live, but, you know, pull them on the sled outside. Doing some, a little bit of special time during the week. So you're doing that. You're using your choices effectively and they're hopefully working better too. You're avoiding the pitfalls. You're giving solid choices with the boundaries around them. Okay, the choice doesn't work. Now you're gonna to move to one, two, three magic. 
This is an extension of choices when choices doesn't work. You want to offer the choice first because they're getting some freedom with that. One, two, three magic is not a choice about whether you're doing it or not. And neither is choices. It's like we're doing this, but you get to decide how we're going to do it. So you get to one, two, three magic. It's we're going to do this. So you can take your choice or I'm going to do it for you. It's, so it's kind of a, it moves into a consequence. It's not a full positive discipline tool. It is a consequence. But when you need to follow through, you need to get them moving, it removes the option for them to be in charge of making the choice. So this is used after working on the more positive options, like I said. It's basically when a child doesn't choose and you need to make things happen. So it's more of, like I said, the consequence. It gives them the final option to make their own choice before you push the issue. Also the full one, two, three magic classes up on the YouTube channel as well. So you may wanna watch that to make sure you're using this tool correctly also because there's pitfalls to that, little genius tactics where they'll find their way around it that renders one, two, three magic ineffective. So watch that class, help ensure you are, aren't falling into those pitfalls. When it comes to putting your foot down, it's important to be able to do this, especially with toddlers because we're setting a precedent and a foundation for the discipline exchanges throughout the relationship. We're shaping them to have internal motivation and to make good decision-making skills. But when push comes to shove, we're letting them know the parent is in charge. It's time to do what I asked and you do it or I will do it for you. So we have to come in and take control. This will happen throughout their childhood and I still have to do this with my kids sometimes. Obviously I'm not like forcing them to get dressed because that's not a problem anymore, but there's other things. I'll give them opportunities to get things done in their own time. But if they butt up against the time limit or something that they wanna do or something else that needs to be done and they haven't finished their schoolwork, cleaned up their rooms, taken a shower, whatever it is, then I have to put down the consequence. I give them the choice, I give them lots of freedom, but if they don't do it, then I have to set the boundary tighter for them. Your friend can't come over until you clean up your room. I'm gonna have to take your tablet now until your room is clean. So if you need to get your child dressed or get them in the bath because they aren't following through after a couple of opportunities to make a mature decision, it's okay to do that. It's important to do that. It sets up the foundation of who is ultimately in charge. You wanna give them the freedom, see what they're able to take on when they can't handle it. Mom and dad, mom or dad have to step in. So in the cases of getting ready in the morning, you could tell him, I'm giving you 10 minutes to get yourself ready while I go get myself dressed. When I come back in, if you're not dressed, then I will be stepping in to help. Now, obviously you're gonna give some choices there. Do you wanna wear sneakers or sandals? Do you wanna wear sneakers or boots today? Do you wanna wear jeans or your sweatpants today? Do you wanna wear this shirt or that shirt? Give him some choices, he picks his choices, you put them out, lay them out on his bed, he can get himself dressed while you go get yourself ready. He gets the opportunity. If he doesn't do it, you come back in. Then you can start it on your one, two, three magic. Okay, I'm finished getting dressed. It's your turn. If you don't get started getting dressed by the count of three, I'm going to have to help you get dressed. Now, I know it can be a bummer when you have to wrestle a toddler to get dressed, but do it once or twice and they know you mean business. Now, I'm sure I had to do this a few times, but I really don't remember having to force them to get dressed. I do remember a few incidences of wrestling to get shoes on. I'd give them a choice of the shoes. They'd choose the shoes or they wouldn't. Okay, then I'm gonna choose for you. I'd choose the shoes, then they wouldn't get them on and I'm sitting them on my lap and I'm getting those shoes on their feet. I remember it with the car seat too. It's just not an option of whether we go get, get dressed, whether we wear shoes or we strap into our car seat. 
but do it a few times. They will learn you mean it when you say it's time to get dressed, get in the car seat, put on the shoes, get in the stroller if they let go of your hand in the parking lot, etc. You set the boundary, they don't do it, you follow through. Firm but kind. Now, it may not feel kind when they're screaming, raising their bum out of the car seat as you're using your forearm to force them down in and strap and buckle them in or pull that shirt over their head, but it is because it's about the safety, it's out of love. And you can give that with your voice. You can be very soothing. I realize you don't wanna get into your car seat right now. I need you to get in your car seat because we're gonna drive and we can only drive if you're safely buckled in your car seat. I love you, I need you to stay safe. We're putting the car seat on right now. So your, your voice is soothing, but you're, you're being strong and setting the boundary and you're pushing through. Okay, so there's a ton I could dig into here, breaking it all the way down as far as exactly how to offer choices first, then when and how to move to one, two, three in each instance, but I think I gave some pretty good ideas of how to do that already with the morning routine. Um, but this is the type of detail I get into with coaching. So parents can give more feedback about exact incidences, what's happening, their current reactions. But hopefully the videos on the YouTube channel along with these tips will help get you going in the right direction. One last tip, using logical positive consequences can often do wonders. So if you, if he has a favorite toy or activity, a leftover time before you have to leave for school, he can use that time to do that activity, playing with blocks, his trains, coloring, whatever it is. You could even have a special toy that he can only play with in the morning before you leave. And if he's ready on time, he can have five to 10 minutes to play with that toy before you leave for work or school. If you're interested in learning more about the reasons children misbehave, how to fix each of them, the class misbehaviors and solutions, power struggles, getting kids to listen, more positive discipline, or any of the 60 parenting classes, as well as the Facebook group where we post the bi-weekly or monthly, sometimes if we don't get a lot of questions, we do a parenting chat with me where parents can ask their questions. You can visit the website at yourvillageonline.com to sign up. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm -hmm.